Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 2 of As It Is Translated Correctly, pages 12 through 19. The title of the chapter is History of Biblical Manuscripts. We'll dedicate the program and we'll get right into the reading. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask thee this far, this day, Father, to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions, that we might have thy spirit to be with us more fully as we search and ponder over the words of this book that we might learn about the history of biblical manuscripts so that we can understand the scriptures and where they come from and why it is that we need the voice of your revelation through the Holy Spirit to teach us the truth of all things. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for the atonement of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he might bring us back into thy presence. And we thank Thee for the Spirit to teach us the truth of all things. We ask Thee to bless this study as we dedicate our time unto Thee. We do so in the name of our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. History of Biblical Manuscripts, Chapter 2 of As It Is Translated Correctly, pages 12 through 19. Did God write the Bible? Did prophets or apostles write every word of the Bible? Is every word of the Bible inspired of God? The answer to all of these questions is, of course, no. Some of its content, or some of it contains the words of God, Some parts are the words of men, sometimes it quotes the devil. And in one place, a jackass spoke. Hence, the Bible is a compilation of records from various sources, containing the words of God, men, and the devil. The expression inspired of God pertains to certain parts of the Bible, but not all of it. Much of it is merely history without any particular reference to God, similar to any other written history. We have an account of God's finger writing the Ten Commandments, which may be considered as the only portion of the Bible that was recorded by the direct action of God. See Exodus chapter 31 verse 18. The prophets and apostles were acting more like secretaries as they received dictation from God. They were given the responsibility to write things, these divine messages, for others to read. 
2 Samuel 23, verse 2, and Revelations chapter 1, verse 19. At certain times, God chose to have his messages delivered to man by way of his angels. See Exodus 34, 27, and Isaiah 56, verse 1, and also Jeremiah 11, verse 1. In every case, men who were inspired or in one way or another, were free to write in the particular style or expression of their own choice. Some were more learned than others, and therefore their style of expression was different. There was only one author, but many writers. We're on page 13 at 9%. The Bible, or Biblia, meaning books, is in reality a small collection of religious histories and writings. The Old Testament consists of 19 books of history from Genesis to Esther, five books of poetry from Job to the Song of Solomon, and 17 prophetic books from Isaiah to Malachi. The New Testament is classified into five historical books, the four Gospels and Acts of the Apostles, 21 letters of the apostles, and one book of Revelation. The Bible was originally written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and in some instances or sections, Aramaic. The New Testament was mostly recorded in Greek. The Old Testament is a whole framework of the Gospels, and the New Testament is its finishing. The factual history of the Bible is much different from what most Christians suppose. The Bible did not just happen, nor was it all written by Moses or the Apostles. Neither did it come to us through the ages as a complete compilation of books. And today... It is neither complete nor perfect. The Bible was formulated gradually. Histories, Psalms, prose, law, genealogies, sermons, revelations, songs, proverbs, philosophy, and other writings were collected over several years by many different men in many different cultures. We cannot point to a particular time or place and say this is when the Bible originated. It can be safely said that most of the writings and revelations from God to man are not even found in the Bible. We have never found an original fragment of writings from Adam, Enoch, Noah, Methuselah, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Shem, or Seth, to name a few. In fact, we do not have any of the original written manuscripts of the Bible. No one knows how many generations of copies were made before we received the manuscripts that we have today. Page 14 at 21%. The oldest manuscript of the New Testament dates back to about the 4th century A.D., The Old Testament goes back to only 900 A.D. I think he meant B.C. Oh, maybe. Oh, okay. He's talking about the uh, 
the manuscripts that we have. So, all right, herein lies the problem of getting an accurate translation from the original copy. So basically what he's saying is the um, New Testament can be dated back to the 4th century AD and some of the Old Testament can be dated back to 900 AD, although we do have the Dead Sea Scrolls now, which he does talk about in a future chapter and goes into detail in that. So anyway, back to the reading. Anciently, many materials were used for writing, such as animal skins, leather, papyrus, stone, clay tablets, wooden tablets, metal, and of course, much more recently, paper. The Old Testament was written mostly on leather or skins. The New Testament was originally penned on papyrus. During the fourth century period, Velium replaced papyrus, and then by the middle of the 8th century, paper was being used. Since most of these materials, materials are subject to deterioration, we do not have any original Bible manuscripts, only copies of copies. And just from my research, when the Jews uh, have scrolls and those scrolls get worn out, um, they burn them. So it's kind of like if you have, for in the United States of America, if you have a worn out flag, uh, you're supposed to dispose of it properly, which is by burning it. And that's what they did. That was the tradition of the Jews. So they would make more copies, but if they had a Torah scroll that was, that was um, falling apart because of its age, and they took very good care of them, but still, you know, the law of thermodynamics states that everything that has order must become disorganized, and that's, a, that's what happens with Torah scrolls. They eventually wore out. The manuscripts, the codexes, they eventually wear out. So when they get to the point where they're worn out, they're destroyed. So that's one of the reasons why we probably don't have any original manuscripts or even anything past the 4th century, which is 400 years after Christ, by the way. Um, it's a miracle that we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, in my opinion. Although, like the Isaiah Scroll, um, the Copper Scroll, like there's, there's so many fragments of that and it's been deteriorating over time that they can get a lot of information from it, but it's still there's parts like I've read the Dead Sea Scrolls and there'll be like sentences and then there'll be blank spaces because that's where the deterioration happened or the worms ate it or whatever happened and then it'll go on with what they can translate but there's a lot of holes in things because of its age anyway going back to the reading there is no original written record of the language that the patriarchs used before the Tower of Babel. Every language today represents hundreds of different man-made expressions which constantly change in both words and meaning. Thus, we do not have God's word in the pure language of God, but rather the inaccurate, unclear descriptions of men in their ever-changing styles of expression. 
Many ancient manuscripts, now worn, faded, and unclear, provide the basis for our present Bible. A few of these Old and New Testament manuscripts are considered here. Quote, uh, number one, the Vatican manuscripts, or manuscript. This 4th century manuscript is usually acknowledged as the most important text of the New Testament. It is located in the Vatican Library at Rome, and the date of the catalog in which it is listed was 481 AD, and it still remains the most complete and accurate of all Bible manuscripts. We're on page 15 at 33%. Number two, the Sinaitic Manuscript. Constantin Jan Tessendorf was a student of the University of Zeitzeg and began his work on revisions to the Bible through study of original or near-source materials. In 1844, he went to the Middle East and began to work in the library of the monastery at St. Catherine's in the Sinai Peninsula. While there, he discovered portions of old parchment, which he determined to be among some of the oldest biblical manuscripts ever found. In 1853, he made another trip to Sinai with the hopes of recovering other leaves that he had seen on his first trip, but to no avail. In 1859, with the support of the Russian government, he made a third trip to the Sinai Monastery. Just as he was about to give up all hope of finding the manuscripts, a steward of the monastery showed him the manuscripts that he was looking for, and some others too. After some negotiation, he purchased them for about $7,000. Tischendorf purchased for Tsar Alexander II the Cotex Sanitanius. In 1933, the British government purchased them for one half a million dollars for the British Museum. This manuscript dates back to approximately the later half of the 4th century. Also number three, the Alexandrian Manuscript. This 5th century manuscript derives its name from Alexandria, where it was found. It was once offered as a gift to King James I of England, but James died before the gift could be received. So it was again given as a gift in 1627 to his successor, Charles I. Later it was placed in the British Museum. It created a great deal, it created a great deal of excitement when it was presented to England, much the same as the Dead Sea Scrolls in our day. It contains both the Testaments, but there are portions of the Old Testament missing. Also parts of Matthew, John, and 2 Corinthians are absent from the New Testament. Number four, the Ephraim Codex. This manuscript has two layers of writing on it. The top layer is a 12th century copy of the writing of Ephraim of Syria, which is why it has its name. But the earliest writings underneath 
is much more importance uh, of much more importance for it is a fifth century copy of the scriptures large portions of the old testament are missing but the new testament but in the new testament the only portion missing from second thessalonians and john second john i by the way we're on page 16 around 47% it is now located in the National Library at Paris. The first full edition of this manuscript was not published until 1845. Number five, the Codex Bazia. This manuscript's purchased or presented to the University of Cambridge in 1581. There it still remains. It was written in both Greek and Latin each text faces each other, the Greek on the left side and the Latin on the right. It is quite small, 8 by 10 inches, with one column of writing on each page. However, it contains only the, only the Gospels and Acts, with a few verse of, verses of Paul's writings. This manuscript has the distinction of being the most puzzling of all of the early manuscript manuscripts because of its additions and omissions. Some have looked upon it with suspicion and question, but in recent years it has been receiving more respect as a valid New Testament document. Number six, the Sinaitic Syriac manuscript. I pretty sure I'm butchering these words, but whatever. This manuscript was found at St. Catherine's Monastery on Mount Sinai. In 1892, two sisters, Agnes Lewis and Miss Margaret Gibson, were searching for rare biblical manuscripts at Sinai when they found this double written document. The bottom layer was writing of I. Uh, of writing was identical as being the Syriac copy of the Gospels. It is the fact that this Syriac translation goes back to the 4th or 5th century that makes it so interesting and valuable. Number seven, the Washington Manuscript. This manuscript came from the hands of Charles Fear of Detroit in 1906. It contains a copy of four Gospels dating to the 4th or 5th century and consists of It contains a copy of the four Gospels dating from the 4th or 5th century and consi consists of several lines in Mark's Gospel which are not found in any other manuscripts. Number 8, the Cory Death Phi Gospels. This manuscript was discovered in 1913. It was written about the 9th century and has been substantiating information regarding the texts of the Bible. We're on page 17 at uh, 60%. 9. The Chester's Beatty Papyri. These papyri are said to have come from the jars taken out of an Egyptian graveyard and were collected by Chester Beatty. Portions of these 
are of the Old Testament in Greek with some portions of the New Testament. It has been considered valuable because it possibly dates back to the beginning of the 3rd century, thus placing it closely to the Vatican and the Sinaitic codexes, codices. Later manuscripts. Many manuscripts dating from the 9th to the 15th century have been recovered. Most of these are written in a cursive running hand. More than 2,500 cursive manuscripts have been cataloged, but their age tends to limit their value. Many of these are made in elaborate and artistic decorations, often portraying a portrait of the author, authors of the four Gospels. These artistic manuscripts usually identify their date, and their ornamental, multicolored texts are elegant to look upon. Other texts, besides Hebrew, have contributed missing parts of the Hebrew text and otherwise helped to support those manuscripts, such as, number one, the Samaritan Pentateuch. The Samaritan Pentateuch is not a translation, but it is a form of the Hebrew text itself. Its beginning is to be traced back to about 400 BC, when the Samaritans separated from the Jews and built their sanctuary on Mount Gerizim, near Shechem. As a result, the Samaritans adopted their own form of the Hebrew scriptures and counted as authoritative and counted as authoritative only the five books of Moses. In one sense, the Samaritan Pentateuch presents a problem, for it bears some 6,000 variants from the Masoretic text. Number two, the Septuagint. The word Septuagint is derived from the Latin Septuaginta, meaning 70, and is the common name given to the Greek translation of the Old Testament, or on page 18, around 73%. According to an unfounded tradition, about 70 men took part in the translation of the Pentateuch. It is believed that the version was completed at Alexandria, but probably by Alexandrian rather than Palestinian Jews. The time of the Egyptian king um, Ptolemy II, Philadelphus, is also probably right, making the origin of the Septuagint probably about approximately 2500 BC. Whatever mysteries may surround it, the Septuagint translation will always hold interest among Christians. For a while, it was the only Bible for the earth church. It was the text most often quoted by the apostles and inspired writers of the New Testament. Yet beyond these prevailing attachments, the Septuagint version is an extremely valuable authority on the Old Testament text. and It is true that it has its deficiencies, it has its mistakes, of translations and its differences from the Masoretic text. And that was a quote by How We Got the Bible by Neil Lightfoot, page 73. 
There are three sources from which we gather information pertaining to the Bible. Number one, the manuscripts. Number two, the, ver- the versions of translation. Okay, I gotta start over with that one because I had to talk to my 18 year old who likes to make noises in the kitchen for some reason. I'm actually doing this at night. Um, I've been doing it in the morning, but I am so tired in the morning. I can stay awake longer at night. So I'm like, yeah, I'll just do it now. The only problem with that is I still have a 18 year old son that doesn't like to go to bed till like midnight and a four year old that doesn't like to go to bed until he goes to bed because my four year old likes to sleep in the same room with my 18 year old uh, they're inseparable <laughs> it's kind of funny anyway there are three sources from which we gather information pertaining to the bible number one the manuscripts number two the versions or of translations and number three quotations from early christian church writers Most of the early church fathers were writers who lived near the end of the first century and later. The most important of those who quoted the New Testament were Justin Martyr, Tenacian, Irenaeus, and Clement of Alexandria, all of whom lived in the second century. In the fourth century, we have the important writings of Eusebius of Caesarea, as well as Jerome. From these men and the many who followed, we have obtained thousands of valuable biblical manuscripts. However, they were all different because scribes and translators made modifications either by accident or on purpose with the intent to help clarify or correct. Page 19, 85%. All manuscripts are not equal in value because they all differ. Thus, it requires a process of elimination of errors, verifying what has been principally agreed upon and attempting to interpret the meaning of what is written. In 384 AD, an authorized revision of the Gospels from Latin manuscript was made by Jerome. It gradually took precedence and gained popularity, and was copied and carried to various parts of the West. But as it was copied by different scribes, they produced an astounding set of various translations. Several attempts were made throughout the Middle Ages to purify Jerome's text, but each of these recensions eventually resulted in further corruption. As a result, the over 8,000 extent volumes reflections on erroneous cross-contamination of text types, and that comes from Biblical Criticism, Historical Literacy, and Textual by Gordon Fee, page 140. So the confusing and intricate in intricate history of the Bible unfolds. The New Testament books have been handed down to us by means of thousands of copies. Although God inspired the New Testament writers, he did not miraculously gl- guide the hands of the copyists. 
contextual or lower, lower criticisms seek to counteract inevitable scribal errors and recover the true form of the text. Many mistakes in the manuscripts crept into the text unintentionally and are not difficult to detect. Other textual modifications were made intentionally, usually by a well-meaning scribe, and these do not stand out so clearly. And quote, How We Got the Bible by Neil Lightfoot, page 50. Here, then, is the basis from which we draw our conclusion that errors have indeed crept into the Bible, hence the need for a clear and correct translation, which may actually be impossible to obtain. So when we come back for the next um, chapter, we'll be on chapter 3 on page 20, and that chapter is translating and revising the Bible. So... Once again, this is uh, actually the first book that I, I started on this particular radio program. I'm not exactly, I can't remember exactly when I started these programs, but I have better recording equipment and I've, I've got about, it's just better now. So I thought I would revisit this book and, uh, kind of do a better podcast uh, reading of these things so anyway like I said um, when we come back for the next episode which will be episode 702 um, we'll be reading chapter 3 which is translating and revising the scriptures so thank you all for listening take care God bless and goodbye is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.